To keep up with the rising costs of hosting the Hockey Hurts podcast, we encourage you to voluntarily support the podcast by visiting our Hockey Hurts Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash hockey hurts. The Hockey Hurts Podcast would like to extend its gratitude to Derek Callow for his generous subscription through our Patreon account. Subscriptions like Derek are much appreciated and help offset the server costs to keep this show up and running. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for March 29th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, this week's podcast, we will be discussing the recent news as of just uh, about an hour ago. Uh, Jimmy Vesey of Harvard University is declining to sign with the Nashville Predators, thus giving him the right to become an unrestricted free agent on August 15th. We will talk about how the whole kind of dynamic of why these college players have this loophole, uh, what the NHL teams kind of could do to maybe avoid this situation and we'll continue to talk about one of the hotter teams in the league the the pittsburgh penguins because they are one of the more interesting kind of situations going on lately at least in my opinion i know i cover them but i do think that (laughs) i do think there are some interesting things going on there you got sid making a run for the heart trophy you got Latang. um pushing towards a Norris nomination. Phil Kessel is doing some cool things and, uh, you know, some other stuff as well that maybe not as uh, big as those three guys, but there's some interesting stuff there. So we will start with um, Jimmy Vesey, Harvard, very good college career, had the option last year to join Nashville for their playoff run, declined, has the option again this year, Joined Nashville, playoff run, top six minutes, and burned a year off his ELC. Apparently, declined again. He will become an unrestricted free agent on August 15th. And before we get into any of this, I'm just going to say I understand Nashville being upset. And I understand Jimmy doing what he's doing. Uh, To quote Omar Little from The Wire, it's all in the game. (laughs) i'm i'm in the same boat as you i get why nashville's pissed uh if you read through some of the stuff that they've come out and said you know they went out of their way to try and make sure he felt like he was going to be welcome he was going to get opportunity could burn a year off his alc so he could um you know get to rfa quicker i understand all of those in that situation, but you can't blame you can't blame the guy for going. Ah, oh, screw that! I'll just go UFA. And, and what I like about it is that it brings up that debate yet again in a hard cap era. No need for a draft because there's only so many places that you can fit players on a team. They will filter out to other rosters if they want to get paid. Oh, you jumped right in on that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, extreme view, I think a logical view, uh, but probably too extreme for most people. This Mm -hmm. is a view that I think both of us have uh, seen Travis Yost write extensively about on his uh, 
personal blog post um, that he had earlier, I believe last year, um, that he says so eloquently all the reasons why, you know, all these issues that we keep hearing about, oh, the predators are pissed that they this loophole screwed them over. And, you know, there is, yeah, it did. Just like, you know, I know it didn't end up that way, but Justin Schultz leaving the Ducks, the Ducks felt the same way when he left them to go to Edmonton, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the, the Jimmy, things I've ever Kevin Hayes for the Rangers? I think so, yep. Was he a Ranger draft pick, or did he? Oh, now, look, you're asking me to remember a bit further back now. Um, I'm not really sure. Blake Wheeler, maybe? I don't know. No, he got traded. The point stands, though, is that there are holes in the system that, and very few of them are skewed towards the player's side anyway. So when the player does find a loophole for flexibility, you can't blame them for utilizing it. Everything in this league is so locked down for cost control purposes and and for the reason being it's supposed to promote parity. I can fully appreciate why the, the league has itself set up that way, but when players do find a way to get some flexibility and choose where they go i don't blame them at all for jumping right on top of that and and trying to utilize that his option right now is hold out for you know let's be honest is nashville playing in a month well they think they will be i understand that but that's a tough division to get through they're going to either have to get through st louis dallas or chicago i know they're playing well right now i get that but you know he burns an elc year yeah but he's still on the hook for like six years under control yeah or something or something around there where he can't he he has no say in what his future is he's found this loophole Honestly, who the hell could blame a player taking ownership of of their own future on where they want to be, what situation they're placing themselves in? The current system, I mean, we've discussed this before. Seven years, you got you're you're here, and you really had no say in it at all. You could you could find a legitimate argument when it comes to the next CBA, this being the negotiating point. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of wiggle room either way for either side to sort of change anything up, and the players will want something given to them. Give them freedom when they come into the league at 18. Might be what they have to do in the CBA negotiations when it comes up. Get there and go, let's scrap the draft. Then just have players come in as, as, as unrestricted free agents, um, make the, the first contract they sign a four-year deal or, or, or something like that so that the teams do still have some sort of length of control over the player. Um, and you don't have to have um, you don't have to have restrictions on entry level deals in regards to how much you can pay them. Just make it a free for all. You've just got to fit everyone under the cap. So you can't pay everyone a bazillion dollars and you can't have all the good players wrapped up on the one team. It doesn't work that way. No, so again, do not blame player for taking ownership of his future. I, in fact it should be applauded. Mm. Right? I mean, really? Yep. Pe- people out here listening to this podcast aren't going to take that route if 
right? I mean, yeah, you know, I agree. I've, it's one of those things. I've just changed jobs. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I got a choice to do that. If you've got a choice to pick where you're going to work, take it. Particularly in an industry where making that change is often out of your control for what was it, seven years? You said, on average, you you go till your, I think UFA age is 27, right? Yep. So if you're a UFA age is 27 and you join the league at 18, it's a long time. Well, the, you can get there sooner if you actually yep. play in the NHL at 18. But seeing as though uh, VC is played four years of college hockey, he is not of that age. So, so it's it's one of those things where you get there with it, and it's like, yeah, there are there are probably going to be contractual loopholes that they can try and plug up with this in the next CBA. But I I, I think the NHL would do itself the world of good if you got a little bit creative with a few things and scrapping the draft would be one of those creative things to do because you could have like, you can still have free agent frenzy on, on July 1st, right? Like they have now. Um, but prior to that, you could have um, a, an entry, an entry level bloody free agent frenzy or something like that. So when players become available to become free agents, have a cutoff date for that. Or maybe you could just combine it all into the one day. I don't know. I would separate then, it. I would too, because that way you've got two days. I mean, one of the things that I, I that sort of really stuck in my head is, um, I think Jeff Merrick getting there and saying the NHL, or it might have been Wyshynski, saying the NHL like to have events scheduled throughout the year as like marker points so that people can stay interested in the sport and stuff like that if their team's not doing well. And, you know, the, the draft is one of those things. When your team is bad, you are waiting for that draft to turn up so you can see your team get a pick. And then obviously, so that's just the lottery. And then there's the draft of the actual picking of the player. So I get why they want to make that an event, but you can replace that event with uh, a, an entry-level sort of free agent creation of day. all these days. Day yeah. Days, exactly. plural. Yeah, you could. And, and then the other thing on top of that is, is you've said this before, is you can then replace that with something else in the middle at the end of the, pl- at the end of the regular season anyway, which is that day of picking who you play against. So if the NHL do want to decide to change things up and not be this conservative, don't want to do any changes, really big, move forward slowly sort of organization, Get out there, get on the front foot, and and actually do something a little bit different. Realigning of the divisions is a lot of crap. The changing of the playoff format has been a lot of crap. I don't know anyone that is happy with this change in the the playoff format. So if you're going to go out and and get trashed for doing something, do something that's a little inventive, not you know silly little stuff like that. Do something big. I know somebody that likes the current setup, but. I gotta tie my tongue on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Current setup, stupid. Yeah, I agree. It's forced rivalries. You don't need to force a rivalry. We've talked about it. If you had our little television special where top seeds get to pick their opponent, you would have a automatic rivalry, and it's you know. There it is. Easy. Done. Good. No more shitty divisions. Done. Rivalries are only completed, only created through the playoffs, right? 
So if you're like St. Louis, St. Louis is going to have no rivalry with anyone because they can't get out of the goddamn Central Division because that division is so good. So how are you supposed to get there when you, you get to the Western Conference Finals and if St. Louis magically do make it, suddenly they have a rivalry with LA or goddamn Anaheim? It just it doesn't it just doesn't work that way. One playoff series does not make a rivalry. Sometimes, maybe, but it's lightning in a bottle. It's not because you artificially align divisions. It's because something organically happened in a in a playoff mm-hmm. series. It, it doesn't have to be teams that played a lot in the regular season. The rivalry can no, form out of true. nowhere. But, yep. yeah, I hate it. I think it's stupid. So we're in agreement, though, that the NHL just won't change the draft. That's pretty much the problem. All right, here's what I will say about it. It's not going to happen anytime soon. People are very ingrained in their ways. It's it's a tough sell. People, the draft is a big, like, event. NFL drafts, like, one of the hugest sporting events of the year. I don't think you could say the same about the NHL draft as far as viewership, because NHL's viewership isn't that high. But as far as relative to NHL interest level, the draft's a huge thing. So it's you're asking a lot of a conservative league to, to bail on what is one of their go-to interest-driving events. Yeah, I just can't see it happening and it sucks. Now, people, you know, if you ask people 10 years ago, yeah, hockey's going to take fighting out. They'd laugh at you. But Mm -hmm. here we are. I think it'll be gone in the next five years. NHL can't say anything right now because they're currently tied up in a lawsuit, so they're not going to publicly admit anything, but they know. They know the the concussions, the, the CTE. They they know all of that. So once this lawsuit clears itself out and they're forced to pay what they need to pay, I I don't think you'll see fighting in the NHL anymore. And that's something that was thought unthinkable just mere decade ago. And it's a relief that it's. I know that ten years seems like a long time, but it's a relief that that's come along quickly. If you know what I mean. Well. A lot of the brain injury stuff has come on quickly, our understanding of it. So I don't think the leagues, NHL or NFL, have moved quickly on it. But our education has certainly moved quickly because I'm only 10 years removed from a playing career, and I never gave it a thought. Yeah. And nobody ever told us to give it a thought. It was... Oh, you're good. You're good. You know, kind of thing. I I couldn't place a number on concussions that I had. I I honestly don't know if I can count them on one hand, two hands. I don't have any symptoms or anything like that, but uh, I had a style of play that was probably conducive to to getting some. So I I can't have a clean slate, but I I've never been diagnosed with one, which is crazy to think about. <clears throat> it wasn't that long <laughs> ago, really. So it's, you know, I've been very critical of the NHL in regards to all of this sort of stuff, but it's it's good to see 
it has it has moved on. I mean, like you said, ten years ago you're in the middle of playing and wasn't given a second thought. Now they've got protocols in place that they might not follow particularly well, but they still do have protocols in place and things that they're trying to utilise to try and make sure that they look after people. So the improvement's definitely there. Will the improvement translate to the draft? We'll see. Oh, God. Ten years. Ten years. This is a real grassroots campaign. <laughs> but at least we got a, a big dog at TSN throwing his weight around with it. Well, you got to have some sort of formal support from somewhere, don't you? <laughs> but but here's the thing. I understand Nashville being upset. I, I get it. They should be upset because it's frustrating. You, you drafted the kid in the third round, and it looks like he's actually, you know, third round picks are... First round picks it can be a crapshoot after the first ten or so, right? Yeah. You get very a third much. rounder and he's tracking pretty good and you're like, All right, the college career's done. Let, hey, we got a playoff run here, you come here, help us. And he and the and the kid doesn't do that. I get the frustration, but I, I think uh David Poyle, some of his words tonight are uh kind of spurned lover kind of tone to him and a lot of nhl gms like to talk about how this is a business when they trade a guy that they maybe told them that they wouldn't trade him but now the shoe's on the other foot and the kid said maybe a month ago yeah i think i'm gonna sign with you guys and then he doesn't um yeah it's still a business just because you didn't get the desired result business is business and yeah, I don't, correct. I don't like the whining, I guess, like upset totally, but this kind of trying to paint this kid is in the wrong. No, you, you want it. It's business. He made a business choice. I think he's right to make that choice and there's no need to kind of, you know, just be kind of salty at the player. It, it's a unique situation and a unique CBA. and They're pretty rare, though. Like, you look at these situations, they're not that frequent. So it's not like... Well, you know how the backdiving deals came in and it was like they had to get fixed, otherwise the salary cap was just going to get worked around? This, this just doesn't happen that often. So it might not be as deal in the grand scheme of things for something to change and it's certainly it's certainly not a big enough deal for you know some some action in regards to the stuff that we'd like to see done there's no way that this is a big enough problem for the nhl to go oh, it's broken we need to scrap the draft you know what i mean like if this started to happen three or four times a year every year like next year and the year after and year after maybe you might see some movement on it but to, to be honest, I think it would have to be a, a player-driven change through the NHLPA to say, all right, we don't want to draft anymore. We want these players to be able to come in and have these flexibilities that they never had. And I can't see that ever change. You know what I mean? Like, 
Would the NHLPA ever do that? Because they'd be turning their backs on the older players that are waiting for their payday. It's like a real tough dynamic. At what point? That's, do you that, that's my point. It's, it's one of the things you always sort of read is the NHL is all about who's in the league now, not about making things better for those coming in. It's like well, their job to make it better for them when they get into the league. And this They're applies about- to any field, really. No, no, I'm just used to just we're talking about the PA, so that's sort of where it is. So I don't blame the PA for thinking that way. Uh, it's just that's the reality of it. It, it. It's like how do you get there and um, make a change like this that might be better for the players in 10 to 15 years' time, but it's not going to help them now? I just can't see that happening. No, agreed. But I do find these kind of situations a little bit fascinating. A little because, bit because they open up these these conversations about the system in place, what can be done, what is being done. Uh, I just hope people don't take it out on uh, the player in these situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think I read somewhere that there was an implication that he took some advice from Radulov, and that's why he decided to balk on Nashville. Who did he take advice from? Radulov. For real? Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm like, hang on. So is this just being, has someone just thrown it out there as a joke? Or because I read it th- from a couple of different places. I just can't remember now where they were. And you, you sit there with it and go, one, surely not for multiple of reasons. And two, if that's the case, and he did take advice from, from Radulov, Radulov's got skin in this game and that he just doesn't like that organization at all so you'd have to take that advice with a grain of salt surely you know what i mean who's hooking up vc with radulov to get that's the bit that i don't get that's like am i am i getting there going have i misread that tweet or whatever and when i read that i've gone i think it must have been a humor one right like it had to be like that would just because Poyle has come out and said he has got poor advice that's that's Poyle's, you know, one of Poyle's statements in amongst all of this. He's like, no, no, he, he's definitely gone after saying he was going to sign with us, and then he's, you know, changed he's his mind. Great advice. Yeah, but you know, Poyle's got there and gone. We just think he's got gotten bad advice from from somebody, and I think that's when I saw the tweet come out saying, oh, spoke to Regula or whatever, and I'm like, surely that can't be the case. Surely that's not right. He's gotten great advice. Um, I know he has dad in Toronto. Maybe even brother drafted in Toronto. Oh, okay. So maybe Toronto being a front runner. That would kind of speed up the rebuild, but like, I don't know. You got carte blanche to sign wherever. I don't think that would be. And this is, this is why this becomes extremely fascinating. You've got a talented young guy who is going to come in. I'm assuming he still signs a three. Is it still a three? This is where it all starts to get. Uh, beyond my my contractual skills, but does that mean when he comes in and signs, does he sign an an, an entry level deal for three years, or does he just sign whatever length of deal he wants now? Oh no, he's still ELC, I believe. It's so it's so it's a three year deal somewhere at a max of what three point three mil if bonuses and all that are included. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's, you've still got whoever picks him up still gets a cost-controlled player for if he blows out all his bonuses, 3.3 mil over three years. If he blows out his bonuses, then 
the team that gets him is going to be extremely happy. But he could go anywhere. Uh, Nate, I think he lives Massachusetts, Harvard, Boston, obviously uh, in the running. I think riding shotgun with Sitter Gino would be not a bad spot to land. No, but riding shotgun with Ben or Sagan wouldn't be bad either. Well, Ben's a left wing. Oh, he is too. Okay, well, that throws that out the window. Tampa Bay replacing Druin with him. Probably not bad. This is this is why this is so interesting, is the options this kid's got. Yeah, exactly and why, why he's making the choice he is. <clears throat> yeah, and, and exactly why it would work if they just scrapped the draft. Because imagine having this conversation building up to that whatever date it is that they decide to make it. Imagine all the conversations that all the networks could have, all the advertising they could sell on those shows, because, you know, half the league is out of the playoffs. So this is all they've got to sort of look forward to for their specific team. Instead of just looking at brackets of players in, in windows yeah. around and, their and draft. And how many pick. picks they have. It, screw picks. It's Sign as many of them under the cap as you want. Yeah. Okay. So here's the other question, though. You get there and you do that. What do you do for trades? <clears throat> you can't trade. You got no draft picks to trade anymore. So you trade future players. Just, you just trade futures. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Or I've heard another very interesting um, idea. Also very progressive that probably people won't like. (laughs) Kind of of like how they do in soccer. Now, mind you, soccer does not have a hard cap. Okay? So keep that in mind when I discuss these kind of things. Soccer does some of these things, but they don't have a hard cap. So the arguments of, well, the rich teams will just keep... You're right. In soccer, that, that can at times happen. But NHL, everybody gets their 71 mil or whatever the hell the cap is that year. <laughs> and and that's that. That's what you have to work with. What if players were allowed... Now, think about this. Trade deadline, you've got somebody that's not a pending UFA, but a team just wants to get over the hump, and you can loan players for that year. I knew you were going to say loan. Yeah, 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 keep going. So loan the player for that run. They go right back to the team. So maybe there's a team that's been like just totally ravaged by injury. Let's say, I don't know, we both do Penguins-related stuff. Remember 2010-11 when Sid and Gino went down? Yeah. Loan Latang for a playoff run. So- what are teams willing to pay for that? Latang well, comes back to the team the next year. With the year with the European model that you you're talking about, it's usually they loan them and they pay them money to do that. So No, I would I would expect um a physical asset in return. Something along those lines, yeah. Now mind you, you could do this philosophy and if the draft was still in place, then you exchange draft picks and whatnot. 
You know, I'm I'm really having trouble getting my head around this as a concept. There are bits and pieces with the the soccer transfer windows and the way they do the on loan from so and so. Don't don't worry about how soccer actually does it. I, I borrow no. the general idea of it, but in hockey it would just be okay. We want this player for the rest of the year. Okay, well here's what we want for it. Do you want and you either do it or you don't do it. You get that player, and at the end of the run, they they come back to you. And for it would just open up a lot of more intrigue. Oh no, I I agree with you there. I mean, try and think of it in the current example now. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk. Oh no, I suppose because no. Maybe Keith, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find a current example. It's like, because you said somebody that wasn't um, coming up to the UFA. So I was immediately going to think of Eric Stahl because I think, you know, he likes it in Carolina, but knew that his time was up there on his current contract in regards to what he's getting paid. The, here you go. We'll loan you out to the Rangers. The Rangers give us stuff, but at the end of the platform, he's still a Carolina asset. But like you said, though, he's on his, the end of his, his deal, so that doesn't quite work. But I, I do get the concept. These are all just ideas. Spitballing. Talk shit on Twitter to me if you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there. Find me. Tell me what an idiot I am. I'm just trying to think. Like Some of this stuff's just so stale. In, oh yeah, I, I agree. It, it's it's going to take its time for it to change. That that's the problem with all of it. I, I think the only time you're going to see big changes with stuff like this would be at CBA negotiating time. That's usually when that all sort of occurs. And, and I'm just struggling to see. And a lockout. Yeah, yeah. So you know, when's the, when's the next one due? It's not too far away, I think. Hmm. So we might get lucky and we might get to see some changes, but nothing will be as drastic or as radical as what Travis has explained, what we're discussing now, all those sorts of things. It's just not it's it's just not the sort of league that likes to take those steps. I mean, Christ, we're still having arguments at the moment in regards to how to value players with new with, with numbers. Shot attempts, a very complicated stat. It's just it, – it, so you get there and have a look at it, and, and I've said it before and I will keep saying it again. It is the traditional ends of the media uh, who have a loud voice, who don't want their voice to be uh, quietened by the fact that they can't run their own narratives anymore because the numbers can prove them wrong. They're the ones that are usually doing a hard push at the moment against all these sort of changes. So imagine if the draft disappears. They'll absolutely explode. It's bad enough that certain players that they think are great players are now being, for want of a better way to put it, exposed as numerical frauds, I suppose, that all of a sudden they can't get there and just make their shit up. So it's an interesting dynamic for it to all be in. Anything to add on our Jimmy VC topic? Oh, is that where this started from? I uh, think so. No. <laughs> no, Let, now to end on the topic I think the young man even if his hockey career falls on its face 
he spent four years at Harvard. I think he'll be okay. Exactly. And and I think you and I both agree. He made the right decision for himself, and that's all you can ever ask for one in their life. So good. I, I just hope, you know, for him, he's not – doesn't go the way of Justin Schultz. No offense well, to Justin put, Schultz, but that didn't work. You've got to put yourself in an environment to succeed. He has and, that Ed, option. Edmondson as a defensive as a defender was not a situation to do that. Anaheim might have been different, but you, you do get there with this with this kid, and you, you do go pick the right spot for you to develop and become a better hockey player, and it should go well for him. All right, so transitioning from all of that to the Penguins, who are eight and two. I believe in their last ten games. I Doing believe well. so. Best in the they East. Um, chasing down the Rangers, even though they kind of split a point last night. Um, going to overtime, beating them in overtime, but a regulation win would have really uh, they would have put them two points behind with a game in hand. Now they're three points behind with a game in hand, but they're playing oh, well. <clears throat> Once this is actually going to draw me into another change that you and I are behind is three two one point system. You, you should like you should get three points for a win, and the situation that just happened with Pittsburgh last night against the Rangers, not that they weren't pushing to win that in regulation, but the chance to cut that four point gap to one point as opposed to two points, if it was a 3-2-1 system, just it would have been so much better in that aspect because Pittsburgh would have pushed more, would have created more chances for the Rangers as well because that game really clammed up. In that last five minutes before OT, both teams started to play safe. And I hate safe hockey, but I get why they did it. It makes perfect sense under the circumstances. But if it's a 3-2-1 point system, Pittsburgh actually goes out of their way to try and win that game in regulation to get a three-point win and to close the gap. The Rangers, on the other hand, would have probably just done what they did to try and hold it up. You get to overtime and you can only gain a point. It just That loser point baffles me a little bit, I think. Well, they want their artificial parity, so that's not going to change. Yeah, I know, I know. But to the to the Penguins themselves, it's nice to see them playing this well. But there are some cracks starting to show up at the lower end of the roster, and you uh, highlighted this in your your piece today. It was really really good, actually. What's that? The bit you did on Cullen. Oh. Yeah. Um... I think Matt Cullen's a great signing for the Penguins. I think he's had a great year. But since Malkin's gone down, I think Cullen has kind of been elevated into a role that, not that he can't handle it, but the results to this point, uh, he's he's not driving possession like he was. Early in the year with Johnston, he was a little bit low, but everybody was, so you just throw that out the window. Once Sullivan was hired, he, he's, you see a lot of good, you know, I looked at it from a game-by-game uh, shot attempt differential, and he was yep. positive most of the time under Sullivan. And then 
Malkin injury, and it's become more negative. So it's tougher minutes, not being able to to play minutes against lower parts of the lineup, I suppose. It's where I have to give Nick Benino credit. Like he's playing second line minutes and his line is doing quite well. Um, I wouldn't expect Eric Fair or, or Matt Cullen to be able to do that. And they did try Matt Cullen as a second line center for a while there. Um, and it didn't quite work out the first time Gino was out injured. So um, Cullen just need. But bottom line is, I suppose, for Cullen, is the team just needs Malcolm to get back. And then the, the load lightens on everybody because everyone slots down the lineup where they should be. Yeah. And Benino has shown in the past he has. He does have some offensive ability. So putting him with Kessel and Haglin, who are two speedsters, Benino is not. But Benino Cerebral, good passer, uh, does well on the boards, that kind of stuff. Uh, he He's kind of that complementary piece that can elevate the other guys, if you know well, what I mean. Well, he can, he can be their responsible conscious as well. Because... You know, Benino doesn't get particularly deep in the offensive zone unless he knows he's covered. And when you've got someone like Kessel and, and, and Haglin, who, particularly against the Rangers, forechecked so aggressively and, and, and so hard below the goal line, um, you do have to have that release point with the the F3 being a little higher. You can't afford to have three, three forwards below the dots. Um, and, and Benino does help cover them off for that. Yeah, and he's had a rough year. Injuries, just kind of trying to fit in with Pittsburgh. Nobody fit in with Johnston this year. Sullivan, much more of a speed-oriented game. Uh, and now he's he got. I, I think Sullivan set him down and said, "Hey, you gotta focus on offense a little bit more here." And since then, you start to see him making more of these plays. Obviously, quality of teammate plays into this. But Phil Kessel's playing great hockey right now. Carl Haglin. Love the alley-oop play they do with him. Where they just flip oh. it and say, hey, go outskate this freaking defender. <laughs> I like, Which, I, I like yeah. the risk-reward of those plays. Because he's usually, if you flip it to a good spot, he's, he's going to get there. But I mean, what's what's the worst that happens in that situation? They get the puck back behind the blue line, like whoop de doo. Whereas you've got a chance that Haglin could break out. I yeah, mean, and that, it's not the goal... same. It's not the same as going high off the glass either. This is a no. decision made by a player. I'm. It's an indirect pass. I'm passing the puck. It may not work, but when you pass the puck normal. It may not work. It's a slightly different version to the LA Kings dump in. LA don't actually dump the puck that much. They actually indirectly pass it to the player coming around the other side of the glass. That's that's the thing. And that's just an aerial version of what the Penguins are doing at the moment. It's just an aerial version of that. Lob the puck to a place where you know a guy skating with speed can get to the puck first. Or at least not have it be a direct a direct change of possession. 
and it, it works really well. The thing with that, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing with the, the Kessel goal against the Rangers was it was Kessel that set Hagman off from the middle part of the defensive third, and Kessel still managed to get to the rebound. Just to give you an idea, an idea of how quickly Kessel moves, he managed to get to that rebound before anyone else did. So creating uh, skating lanes for them is, is, is vitally important to getting the most out of their physical skill sets. And they've been doing a great job of it. They have Benino and Kessel both going career highs for points. Saturday against Detroit, both had five, one goal, four assists each. It was just that was just an amazing in a big game. Man. That pretty much said, "All right, Detroit, you're not catching us anymore. So have fun scraping it out with the Flyers." Huge game. I just don't. I don't know what's going on in Detroit. Because they don't, they, <clears throat> I don't feel like they're that bad a side, but they just can't seem to get anything right. It's almost like when Mrazik went down, really didn't help them because I don't think he's been the same goalie since he's come back from injury. And they obviously don't trust Jimmy Howard to carry the load. Otherwise, they wouldn't have rushed Mrazik back. So it, it's one of those situations where, you know, key injuries at key times to key players can be really, really costly for you. I mean, God, look at Tampa Bay and Strawman. Oh, yeah, big big time. In- very interested to see how that uh, goes down. Because mm. that sucks. Like, the, the, you want to see the teams that make the playoffs go in there healthy because, you know, if all the best players are healthy, in theory, you should get quality hockey going through, um, through the playoffs. So... You, you just hope that everyone else can, can stay healthy because a strawman's done, basically. Like, he's done for the year. Displaced fracture of the fibula? Jesus. They should get a decent first-round opponent, I would think. Right? I think so. Let me just go out of standings. But unlike Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh needs to win round one, and they probably get Geno back. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Tampa wins round one. They Strowman's still cooked. There's no know, coming on that front, which is unfortunate for them. That's what sucks about it. That's the thing that that that's really like, ugh. It would just be nice to have have them healthy, and they're just not. Super underrated player too. Yeah, very much so. Every defender that plays with him is better. Everybody, pretty much. Mm. Yeah, good point. But another underrated defender in the sense of national discussion. I was going to say, is he really? But yeah, you're right. Uh, Chris, Chris Letang, the man who has 44 points in the last 40 games... Only Sid, Kopitar, and Joe Thornton have more. So he's outscoring the Norris favorite. Yeah, he's even uh, ahead of Carlson. And 
Every other player other than three. <laughs> nah, he's just he's been he's been fun to watch. It's good to see him actually get a, a, a large chunk of the season together healthy, and be in a team environment where the team's being asked to try to win as opposed to avoid losing. And you can see the benefits of playing like that. He's been on the ice for 44 Pittsburgh shot attempts lately, or around there, every game. The thing, the other thing that I find amusing is that um, he's often considered, you know, very good defensively. It's usually he's. I don't think turnovers. he is. I think people think he's not. Well, so. I'm... I don't know. You listen to other, you watch you watch the Penguins play, and if you watch them with the opposition coverage, they almost always bring up the fact that Chris Letang is good defensively. I think they so, should. But, but that's the thing, though. So I want to know where this he's not good defensively narrative is coming from. Is it from there's Penguins a stretch Penguins? where his puck management was atrocious it was terrible it wasn't good there were some very visceral mistakes that he would make that were very memorable but as i always say if you have the puck all the time there are going to be times where you make those mistakes he was making a few more than he should have yeah but that doesn't mean he wasn't a good defender that just meant his puck management needed to not be that way so you get there with it and it's like is this he's not good defensive narrative coming from Pittsburgh fans saying that as the excuse to why he's not really getting much talk for the Norris because he's not is he really like you have to think about it most of the arguments and we did this last week were mainly about Carlson and, and, and Doty so is it just because everyone thinks it's a two-horse race that he's not going to get a mention? You know, it looks as though PK's fallen out of favour with everyone because the Habs are so terrible, and you know he got he got injured there for a little while. I mean, Latang's been injured again this year, but his play since coming back from injury has just been outstanding. Best so I in don't. The yeah, so you get there with it, and it's like, you know, we rolled over the Carlson uh, Dowdy argument last week. That's fine. Um, I just, I'd like to see, I'm not expecting him to win it because, you know, you and I both think Carlson should win it. I'd like to see him up there in the voting though. Um, I think he deserves it. And Adam Gretz of CBS sports had a, a tweet that I retweeted just last night. Uh, you know, he thinks Latang's having a better year than Dowdy. I mean, good luck changing the perception of some of the, I guess, technically international media, right? Put it to you this way, though. If if the arguments you're running for Dowdy going, to, for Dowdy being the Norris over Carlson, all of those arguments you're running for Dowdy, Latang is beating Dowdy on those points. So if you want to run with that dogmatic logic, then Latang should be the Norris nominee. That's just just to give you an idea of how stupid those arguments against Carlson are that are being laid for Dowdy to win it. And these are three players that are absolutely awesome. That's the problem with arguing these things. Like, we've been kind of down on Dowdy as far as winning the actual award, but I I don't 
I, I think I do speak for both of us. We're not down on Dowdy as a player. No. And I think when you talk in these discussions, it can kind of come off like you're putting down the other guy. Which, we, yeah, which we're, we're not. We're propping up the other guys, not downing Dowdy. Dowdy's great. Well, trying to create a case for the other guy, whereas it's one of those things where it's the, the silly thing with the either argument with, with, with Carlson and, and Dowdy is that it's like both of these players are awesome. Which player do you think's had the better year at the position? I think it's Carlson. Doesn't mean that Dowdy's had a bad year. He's just had the second best year, if you're going to do that comparison between those two. If you get there and you add a third player in, I still think Carlson's had the best year. I just think probably Latang's been the second best defender in the year and Dowdy's the third. But the gap between one and three is so close. I'm not trying to say that as in, well, Dowdy's crap or Latang's crap. It's just this particular season that they're having, that's just the order I think that the three of them have been in in regards to best at their position for the year. And Latang has just done some crazy stuff lately. He played three minutes and 56 seconds of that four minutes and 30 seconds of overtime against the Rangers. And give the coach credit for going, screw it. I'll have a timeout, and I'll just make sure all the guys I want out there are back out there. Well, that happened at the end. Latang did play a three-minute shift because, the, for those that don't know, overtime started with a four-on-three power play. Pittsburgh was in the Rangers' end the entire time. Rangers did a um, pretty good job killing it off. So that was like two minutes. Not a ton of skating. Pittsburgh had zone time. But then they, Latang got stuck for another minute, and there was a lot of defensive zone time in there when it was four on four. And the remarkable thing about Latang is that even three minutes into a shift, you know how some guys are hunched over and they're passive and they you, you're just kind of stuck. You can't engage guys aggressively in the corner. Mm-hmm. There is Latang on the puck, engaging with actual force, separating guy from puck, three minutes into an NHL shift, which is incredible. So he was gassed. <laughs> to your point, yeah, yeah. there's a whistle, about a minute left, and... I, I had tweeted it out. I'm like, take a timeout. What, what, you can't save them. Get get your big dogs out there at the end. And, and he actually did it this time. And Latang gets the primary assist on the Crosby tip goal to win the game. After so, Crosby retrieved the puck twice. That may have been a different sequence. Maybe I'm no, wrong. No, no, no. For that, for that goal, Crosby lost the draw, went and retrieved it behind the net, uh, swung it around to the the half wall. It started to get – New York started to get possession again. Crosby went and made sure he got it back. Um, it was just – you get there and go – You're right. That was that were two, two superstars going, all right. You remember that game when they beat um, Florida? And it was mm-hmm. basically Sid and Latang. That that had all the hallmarks of we're not going to lose this one. We need to win it about it. And and I find that amazing in a sense that hockey is such a team-based sport. It is very hard to put a team on your back and win a game unless you're the goalie. To have that much of a direct impact on the result um, is, is very hard to do. And 
Um, you know, Ovechkin can do that. Um, Jamie Ben can do that. Um, Joe Thornton can certainly do that. Anze Kopitar can do it. So we're talking like the elite of the elite players. Carlson can do it. Dowdy can do it. So it, it's, you know, one or two players. Some teams are lucky that they've got a couple of players like that. Um, it's actually getting to see that happen in overtime in a game that, you know, really does count for Pittsburgh was, was nice to see. No, you were right on that. That that double turnover that Sid caused in overtime did lead to the actual goal. The one yeah. video I was looking at had his behind-the-back pass. That went to Latang with the wide shot, but then I just saw another clip that went past it and Sid retrieved the yeah. rebound. And so, yeah, Chris Latang. Awesome stuff. If he goes down, penguins are cooked. <laughs> we've said that a few times on this podcast as we've gone through. You know, I think even if Sid and Gino are healthy, if he goes down, they're probably cooked. Oh, I, I agree. Like, there's there's nobody back there with the Donism that he's got to, to be able to do what he does. I mean, you've got players that have got bits and pieces of what Latang offers, but not everything that – not. You can't recover 28 minutes a night through, you know, defense by committee. It's just, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. But Sid, another game winning goal, another goal. He's making a pretty strong late run at the Hart Trophy. How many games they got left? They got like six or seven games. Seven games eight. left, I think. Eight. eight games left. So if he gets a point in each of the next eight games, so he, he gets at least eight points, ends the year on a what a ten-game point streak. <clears throat> Patrick Kane just scores half the way through. The gap between Kane and Crosby is still really big. I still can't see Sid getting it, even though you can make the argument. Although we might have just made a counter-argument against it because of Latang. Well, make that same one for Keith and Seabrook and Hosa and Taves and Panarin. Yeah, no, I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. But I think we both just said who goes down, Who's uh, are they cooked? It's like if, if Latang goes down, they're cooked. Well, if Sid goes down, they're cooked too. True. And that's usually the argument that the guys on good teams have got for this sort of stuff. It's, oh, they've got so many good players around them. You know, if he gets injured, do they fall apart? No. So, you know, if you lose Crosby now, they're cooked. So, I don't know. I look, I'd like to see him win it because I actually think he has been the most important player through the year. He started terribly and has ended spectacularly. And for some unknown reason, there's that recency bias in the sense of, um, the games later in the year matter more than they do in October, which is a load of garbage. The points still matter. So get there with the way the award's been given out previously, he might have a shot at getting it. I don't know whether he, he should, because Kane has been spectacularly good through the year. But what do you do? Um, I don't know. Depends on how they finish, <laughs> I guess. Well, that's the thing. There's eight games left. There's still enough time for Pittsburgh to 
fall apart and, and fall out of the playoffs. So that's the thing. There's no nobody's clinched a playoff spot except for the Capitals, and they've clinched the President's Trophy. Depends on if voters want to look at the coaching change being a legitimate reason what for Sid's slow start. Well, all the numbers would say that that's the case. I definitely think it's the case. So, Sid's been on an absolute tear. It's funny how you get there and you say that, like, this has been an absolute tear. Isn't Joe Thornton, like, one or two points behind Sid during that tear? Yeah, Joe's had a great year. Yeah, and yet nobody wants to talk about Jumbo Joe. Like, all those playoff failures are all his fault and his fault alone. Nobody's just... ever wanted to talk about that. Because he's, what is he, 37, and he's still this good. I love I seeing him do well because it's my counter-argument to people that think the Crosby-Malkin window's closing. Does anybody really think Sid can't do what Joe Thornton's doing? Wow, because the other thing with, with Crosby is he missed, what was it, 16 months? Yeah. As well? So, yes, we did get to see Sid through that 16-month window, which was the prime of his scoring. But that 16 months off the ice, off getting bedded and batted around, might help him prolong his career a little bit later because of the way he plays. Like, it's 16 months of not getting hacked and whacked and smashed in the corner and all that sort of stuff. So it might be a blessing in disguise for, for Pittsburgh being able to extend. Because you're right, there is that expectation that that, that window with, with Crosby and Malcolm is, is on the close. Their um, prime is closing, not their window yeah, being no great. Yeah, you're right. Which is a huge difference. Yeah. Just because they're not at their apex doesn't mean that they're below apex isn't better than everybody else's. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how it works. So, you know, and I think you got guys that are starting to play better, like um, Kessel, who we mentioned. He's at 2.3 points per 60 at even strength since the coaching change, well above first line level. That's quite amazing, really, when you think about it. So, yeah, he's streaky. Yeah, there, there are certain, um, you know, I, I, I can see why people get frustrated with him, but I don't think his effort level has changed throughout the year. I don't think he's magically doing a ton of things differently right now. No, I don't think so either. I think... A lot of the year, you could argue puck luck. I've argued stick flex on some of it, but that stick flex was uh, the reason he sniped that goal on Saturday. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the 70 flex working like it uh, to absolutely to plan. So you, <laughs> you, you get your flubs, but then you get that mint shot too. But he's flying through that neutral zone lately, especially against the Rangers. Felt like he was just ripping through the neutral zone, unabated. Ripped that one shot off the crossbar. 
Yeah, he just he made it was it was really weird seeing Ronald Dunner turned around like a turnstile. Like that just rarely happens. Like he can usually he can usually get get himself sorted out to the point where that's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, really, um, really interesting to watch. So, that's that's good news for for Pittsburgh. Malkin goes out. Kessel, uh, known to go on some hot streaks in Toronto and take things over. Um, at least the last two games seems to be doing the same. Seven points in two games. Can't really argue much with that. That's a pretty good stretch. And I think he got third star of the week for his efforts. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll, I like to see Kessel do well because when he's playing well, it's exciting. It's fast. It's quick. Um, and, and watching that puck explode off his stick like it does, it, it is pretty cool to watch. So... You know, you want to see all the stars play. It's like hockey's more fun when Ovechkin is scoring and jumping around like a little kid and running through people legally and all those sorts of things. So you want to see good players do well. It's like you, you want to see Anze Kopitar play well and, and Patrick Kane play well. So you just hope that when the playoffs sort of coalesce into what they are, that teams are peaking and not just getting in. And it's usually why we, you can see some of those first round upsets because the teams that are already in uh, are trying to keep themselves up and ready for the playoffs, whereas the teams struggling to get in have been playing playoff hockey for a month. And he's not the only winger uh, kind of playing well lately. I think the play of Chris Kunitz has gone uh, relatively unnoticed. He's, he's, he been, just... he's been pretty good. Yeah, he just keeps doing Chris Kunitz things and does them well. He might not have the finish that he used to have, but he still does everything else that made him valuable. Yeah, he's in on pucks. He's still one of the better cerebral guys at, at getting pucks to where they need to be for the next guy. You have to respect what the next guy has to do with the puck as a player. Like, if you don't respect the fact that when you give the puck to the next guy, what they have to do with it, you end up putting it in their feet, putting it behind them. Uh, respecting the next guy in the chain, you know what hand they are. You know where you're putting the puck. Can they skate into it? Uh, what kind of defenders are in, about to engage on them? And I think Chris Kunitz usually analyzes all that kind of stuff quite well and leaves the puck to the next guy in a good spot. And I yeah. I have a tweet here from uh, 404 response code that I, I put in my blog today. Uh, he said the, the Kunitz sucks, quote-unquote, needs to stop. Since January 1, he leads all Penguins in even strength primary points per 60 at 1.39 and leads the team in Corsi 4 per 60 at 70.59. He's not just along for the ride. And I agree. I don't think he's where he was a few years ago, but the fact I, I get really tired of reading about how he's some kind of liability. It's just not the case. Yeah, but it's an easy narrative to push. It is when you don't care about actual facts. You worry about style points more than actual results. You know, that's where you kind of get into a little bit of trouble when you dismiss kind of the analytics part of things. And you focus on 
well, Chris Kunitz is, doesn't isn't as aesthetically pleasing as he used to be. Not that he ever was the most aesthetically pleasing player, but I think we both agree that on his standard, that that's even gone down. Like, you're not always like, oh, okay. Sometimes it's like, ooh, the hands. You could, what happened you, there? Yeah, you could see him get frustrated. There are things that he used to be able to do without thinking about, and it would just happen. Um, and then there are times where he goes to do it now, and it usually happens in the neutral zone when he's trying to create time for what's well, usually said to come through the middle with speed and then do that wonderful little um, open space pass that he'll he'll – you know, saucer a puck over a stick and it'll just land where Sid's going to be in a half a second and Sid can hit it with speed. He'll go to do the curl and then the puck will just wander off his stick and you can see him go, what the hell happened here? I had it a second ago. And it's like, so it's things like that where I think the, you can see why people go, oh, he's not as good as what he was. It's all Sid, all that sort of stuff. But when he does that curl for space and time and the puck doesn't, roll off his stick, which is a lot of the time he's good with it, and then lobs the puck to where Sid's going to be or banks it to where Sid's going to be off the boards. Everyone's talking about how great the speed Crosby, the how great it is the speed Crosby's got through the neutral zone, but it's because he can create that speed with the time and space he generates for himself to do that. Hornquist can't do that. Hornquist gets the puck down the wing and literally just chips and chases it himself. He won't even do a cross-ice dump to allow somebody else to go and chase the puck. Kunitz can still do those little things. It's just it screws up a little more often than it used to. And his offense did dry up last year. I get it. You can't argue that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the case right now. And, yes, playing with Sid. Certainly impacting offensive numbers, but at the same time, also not holding Sid back. So let's not pretend like that's happening. That's probably all you want to do is, is have players that we Sid to allow Sid to be Sid at 100%. You know, and that was that was probably the, the, the argument with, with Pascal Dupuy earlier in the year. Um, admittedly, in an environment that was holding everybody back, but you could see that whenever they put Pascal back up, up there, um, it just it held Sid back that little bit more. Whereas I never really felt like that with, with Kunitz. It felt like Kunitz wasn't getting the most out of himself for hard production, but it wasn't stopping Sid from being productive. And, and in the end, once once they got the shackles taken off with the new coaching staff, um, you know, Sid's come along in leaps and bounds, and I don't think that would have happened if, if Kunitz hadn't been there lobbing the puck into places that Sid wants it to be in. Anything else, Penguins? Um... They need to make sure they sit Fleury so he doesn't halt be out. Oh, good segue. Basically, what, what Cam's getting at here, we talked before the podcast about the, the Washington Capitals, and they keep playing Braden Holtby just a, a ton, and he's chasing down Broder's wins record for a season. So in the, um, you know, you're wearing a guy down for why? 
Well, for a club that wants to try and avoid getting that choker tag out of the playoffs, which I think is ridiculous because each era doesn't relate to the next era. You know what I mean? Like what happened with, with Bonder and stuff doesn't matter with what happens with Ovechkin now. Oh, really? You know? it, it's funny how that doesn't actually, you know, have any relevance to each other, but it's a narrative that, that teams like to, to stick on. So you get there and go, if you look at it in 10 years' time and you go, well, hope we managed to get the, the games record that year. What happened in the playoffs? Well, we got knocked out in the second round because Holtby's safe percentage dropped below 9-10 even strength because he was cactus. Just The logic behind it just doesn't make any sense to me, you know? So you might as well – Group Hour is not a terrible backup, and you've now wrapped up the President's Trophy. You don't have to play Holtby the rest of the way if you didn't want to. Not that you would do it that way, but you could – just give him a rest and, and let him just chill out for a bit. You'd play him in the second last game of the year against Pittsburgh. That actually might might be their last game of the season. Um, but you'd play him in that game. There's a couple of other key games that you'd play him in. Just sit him for the rest. You know, what is it? Is he two games behind the record? I don't even know where he stands with it. I just well, know that they shouldn't be making playing decisions with Holtby on some some people maybe still value goalie wins. I, I'm so past that. Well, it's more a team win than a personal win, even though that's not how the record shows it. But you do want to get there and, and make sure that the guy that halfway through the year everyone said was hands down the Vesna and his last half of the year has had a lot of people second-guessing that thought process. Um, you'd be wanting to make sure that he's psyched and ready to go and feeling fresh going into the playoffs. I think that Penguins did this to Fleury one year as well. Played his ass off in the last half of the year in a year where they had everything wrapped up. And then it might have been one of the years that he, he did Frosby flop. I can't remember. But you just don't – not everyone's like Lundqvist who can just play every game forever and ever. And even then you can make the argument that Lundqvist has probably been overplayed as well. Holtby's numbers have dipped. Substantially. So Holtby is a very good goalie. That's not just a this year thing. He's been good for a bit. So maybe rest him up and he can be an X factor in the playoffs, but run him into the ground to chase some, some wins record. I I don't know. I disagree with that strategy. There's nothing to say that they're not going to rest him yet. I mean, what? There's like we said, there's eight games left, seven games left for teams. If he plays three out of those last seven or eight games, he and, and you, you you play him late, like you play them late, so he he, he pushes through nicely. Then um, I think that'll be fine. But he doesn't need to play six of eight or five of seven coming into the end. He's already played, what, 60? When's the last goalie who played over 60 games win the actual Stanley Cup? I think it's been forever. Oh, that's a good question. Maybe Tim Thomas? So what's that, 2011? 2011. I don't know if he played that, that many games that year, though. Yeah, yeah. 
In fact, he only so, so, started 60 games once. There you go. So, playing a goalie this many games, I don't think works. I've always, like, I've always said I've wanted Fleury to only play. I, I bet Quick did it once. What, and won it? I think so. There you go. I could be wrong so on that too, but I'm I'm looking so up as we speak. So it's pretty rare then. I just think I just think there's so much pressure on goalies when it gets to the playoffs that if you if you're getting there and you're asking your goalie to ostensibly everyone plays 20 plus games in the playoffs to win the whole thing, um, if you're asking your goalie to play in 80 games for the year, upon which 20 plus of those games are ridiculously intense. You're asking them to fail rather than to succeed. He played 69 games. Holpe has. No, um, quick. 2011-12. That was the year they they beat the Rangers, wasn't it? Only 49 the other time they won. Yeah. Uh, that's one example blowing my theory out the window. Yeah, but it's not commonplace. No. No, no, no. Hey, look, as a Penguins fan, I hope they ride him into the ground and he flames out, to be honest. I think even if he plays well, Pittsburgh, you're talking a second-round matchup with them. Malkin back. Pittsburgh's played the Capitals good this year with Mike Sullivan. Yeah. I think you're it's a coin flip at worst for Pittsburgh in that scenario. Pittsburgh's yeah, underlying numbers are great. No, I know. Look, every everything points to Pittsburgh having a good playoff series. It's just one of those things where I've been a Pittsburgh fan for too long now to sort of want to get there and go, yep. Thumbs up on this one. You know, there's been, you know, my favorite player has been one of the reasons they've flopped out of a few. It would be nice if, if he carried them through the first round and allowed Melka to take over and and go from there. But I, I, I certainly, that's the thing when you're a sports fan. It's the exciting part about the playoffs. You just never know what's going to happen. No. That's what makes them fun, though. It is, it is. And it's why when the Penguins get knocked out, I still watch all the other hockey. Cause it's oh, good. absolutely. It, I don't... It's quality hockey. People people stop watching? That happens? Yeah, yeah. I get why maybe uh, if you were on the team, you would stop watching. That, oh, no, that's that, different. <laughs> I, I get that. I just said too as, much. As a fan? Do you really? Uh, I know it's a biased statement, but I still think the, the Stanley Cup playoffs is the best tournament going around in North America when it comes to trying to win the whole thing. It's better than the freaking baseball, let's just play two games before we get to seven-game series garbage. And then the NBA playoffs sort of don't seem to start until, you know, the conference finals. So I just find that the way this this works, the four-by-sevens, is is fantastic. Yeah, I don't understand the baseball wild card thing, you play 162 games and then you put it in a one-game sample. Oh, it's just, yeah, that that's a really good way to, to determine who deserves to win. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
not a fan of that. That that wild card should be five games. Shorten that. Well, then you're getting into solutions that aren't happening, kind of like our NHL elimination. Pretty much. You know, you, you make the baseball season 154 games. Because let's be honest, a lot of the records in baseball don't mean a lot anymore. The, at least the season totals with the guys that accomplished it, you know, on PEDs, more or less. Pretty much. Make it 154 and have a real great playoff. Hey, I've got that argument with what goes on over here in the AFL over here. They continue to have this really crappy... Um, really, really crappy preseason competition, and then you have the season upon which not every team plays each other twice, um, and then you have the the finals, which I actually think they've managed to work the final system out here really well. Just get just scrap the preseason, start the season a little bit earlier, extend the season two weeks later, play everybody twice, and then these complaints about having an uneven schedule gone. Teams can stop complaining about it because we've got a team over here at the moment who have had 35 players suspended due to taking illegal substances that they didn't know they were taking. So they're terrible. So every team that plays them twice has, in theory, got an advantage. And so you'll hear a lot of teams complaining about the fact that they only get to play that team once or other teams get to play them twice. You need to just set it up so it comes down to just the players and you can't find these conspiracy theories and stuff around them. And I don't understand why leagues put themselves in situations where... Stuff can be made up. Well, because. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of which, we do have to say thank you to uh, Derek Callow for pledging five bucks at Patreon for us. So thank you very much, my good man. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Any others? Uh, yeah, there's a couple we've tweeted out for $1, $1 pledges and stuff like that. So uh, definitely thank you to everybody that is helping contribute um, and, and getting this thing uh, up and going and, and helping us keep it going, basically. Yeah, too many of you download this program. <laughs> Server costs have gone up, have they not? They have, and that's just the sad, it's just the sad, um, sad reality of, of you guys enjoying it. So thank you for all that are contributing. All right. Does that do it? That'll do it, yeah. All right, the rare Monday night Hockey Hurts podcast. Oh, shit, it is too. Woohoo! Or, sorry, I said it was March 29th, so Tuesday. Tuesday. We started on a Monday, United States. Cam was always on Tuesday. As always. Always living in the future. Exactly. I need to put some lotto tickets down. So, um, I guess until next week, I'm Ryan Wilson. <laughs>